Well, okay, we've been in this series called All Things New. And I kicked this series off on Easter Sunday when they were in the event center. And we started looking at this issue of all things new. What Jesus offers us to go to the place of, of, of beginning again, the land of beginning again. And every one of us go through a time or a period in our life where we're just like all things new. We'd like a fresh start. We'd like to begin again. And so we, look at the, we looked at the life of Nicodemus. Uh, in and there on Easter, and and what he was a religious guy. He tithed. He he went to church. He read the Bible. He memorized first five uh, first five books of the Bible and all those other things. And Jesus told him, he says, you know what? You need a relationship with me. And Nicodemus found religion to be empty and religion to be this thing that was leave him wanting more. And last week we looked at at the the immoral woman. And, and she tried to find satisfaction. She tried to find happiness through relationships and through the world. Nicodemus tried to find it through religion, and you'll never find it there. She tried to find it through relationships and one broken relationship after another. And she found that this world was leaving her wanting more. Like, it's, like whenever is enough, enough. It would just always seem like not enough. And it left her, as she would say, it left her thirsty. And so Jesus is the one that said, the world will always leave you thirsty. But when you drink of me, the living water, you will never thirst again. In other words, what he was telling her, that satisfaction is found in me and me alone. Now this week, we're going to look at another subject as we close this series. And we're going to look at the issue of a life of hope. And we're going to look at two guys that were walking on a road and their hope and had been dashed and life hadn't turned out the way that they expected and they were going through a crisis and Jesus pulls close to them and I believe that the words that he speaks into their life has a lot to say into our life. You know, a lot of people discover, and some people call it a midlife crisis, some people will call it depression, but a lot of people will discover at some point in their life that this world, what this world has to offer, it's not enough. And that they can go through periods of their life to where they're feeling, I thought I'd be in a different place. I didn't think my life would turn out like this. I didn't think I'd have to deal with this. And they deal with crisis. You may have seen the movie years back. It was called City Slickers. Uh, you remember that movie with, with Billy Crystal? And Billy Crystal was that guy. He was this bored, baby boomer, advertising salesman. And so he was struggling through life because he's at that point in life to where it was just not enough. And life didn't turn out the way that Billy Crystal expected life to turn out. And as a result, he was depressed and he was, he was just sad. And, and at the same time, his son is, was in the eighth grade and they were doing career day at, at school. And so his son came home and said, said, parents can go and talk about their career. And so Billy Crystal said he wanted to do that. The only problem was his son had been telling his friends that his, his dad was a submarine captain. So you can imagine their shock when Billy Crystal gets up and he's this baby boomer, he's bored, he's depressed, and he, this is what he tells them. So he stands up in front of the eighth graders and he says this, kids, value this life while you still can, because this is a time in your life when you still have choices and it goes by fast. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your, thir- your 20s are a blur. In your 30s, you'll make a little bit of money and you think... And you will think, what happened to my 20s? In your 40s, you will grow a pop belly, grow another chin. The music starts getting too loud, and one of your girlfriends becomes a grandmother. In your 50s, you have minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it is surgery. The music is still too loud, and it doesn't really matter because you can't hear it anymore anyway. In your 70s, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale. You start eating dinner around 2 in the afternoon. You have lunch around 10 and breakfast the night before. You spend, you spend most of your time wandering around the mall looking for soft yogurt. 
In your 80s, you will have a major stroke. You will end up babbling with some Jamaican nurse whom, whom your wife cannot stand, whom you called mama. Any questions? <laughs> this guy was depressed, and life didn't turn out the way that he expected. Fact is, he had lost hope. Dante said this. Dante said, life without hope is hell. It's difficult. One man put it a little bit differently. He says, when there is no hope in the future, there is no power in the present. Romans 8.24, Paul tells us this. He says, for in this hope that we are saved. And we have this hope as believers, and we have a hope that is secure. It's behind the veil. And it does, does not depend on circumstances. It does not depend on situations. That we have this hope, and our hope is secured. It's in Jesus Christ. But these two men that we're going to look at today, they were, they were, they were Christ's followers. And they, they had put their hope in this Jesus of Nazareth that would be crucified and buried. And then on the third day that he would rise again and he would redeem Israel. But see, they, were, they had some false beliefs because they believed that when he would redeem Israel, that he would overthrow the Roman government and they would come into power and all of those other things. But see, these two guys, their hope was dashed when Jesus was crucified and buried and he's in the tomb. And as a result of that, that they were so discouraged that they left Jerusalem and began to head to a city by the name of Emmaus. In other words, they were running from their crisis. They were running from their hurt, and they were running from their pain. And so they're going to the city called Emmaus, and they're leaving Jerusalem, and it's about seven miles away, and they're walking to Emmaus. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, there's, like, there's not one flat part of that area of Israel. And I've been there and taken tours and taken groups over there. And so you're either going uphill or downhill. Now listen, when they're walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus, they're going downhill. And so they're depressed and they're discouraged and they're probably, they're probably looking down and they're not looking up because of the, the soft rock and the, all of the other stuff. And they are, they're headed in the wrong way, in the wrong direction. And Jesus just joins them. And the disciples... They're struggling because they heard how Jesus was going to be crucified and raised from the dead on the third day. And they misunderstood what this meant. It didn't turn out the way that they had expected. And so they've lost hope. I want to give you three things this morning that Jesus does for every one of us to give us hope, to hang on to hope, to, to, to help us have hope in this world. The first one is this. God reveals himself to us personally. God reveals himself to us personally. When, when you look at this issue, watch this. Luke chapter 24. If you have your Bibles or your electronic devices, you can go ahead and turn there. We're just going to walk through these verses verse by verse and pull these principles out. So here's the story. Verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. So they're walking. They're walking away from their crisis. They're walking away from their pain. Listen, you never solve pain. You never solve a crisis in your life by walking away from it. And so they're trying to get away from it, about seven miles. Verse 14. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, here's, here's my favorite, one of my favorite parts of the story. Jesus himself drew near and was with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So picture this. The two guys are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. Their heads are down. They're discouraged. They're walking. 
this individual who we know is Jesus, who we know is God, Scripture says, draws near to them. Let me tell you something. God sees you even when you don't see God. God sees you in the midst of your hurt, in your pain, in your circumstance, even when you don't see him, even when you're like these two guys and you don't recognize him. Just because you don't see him, just because you don't recognize him does not mean that he is not there. Sometimes, right, we can go through crisis and we can go through circumstances where, where our pain gets our focus or our hurt gets our focus or our circumstance gets our focus. And it's hard for us to even recognize that he is with us. The scripture teaches, guess what, that he is continually revealing himself to you. Do you realize this morning he's revealing himself to you? He is personally revealing himself to you? Regardless of why you're here this morning, I mean, one of my favorite things to ask people when I first meet them is, is how'd you find out about our church? And I have testimony after testimony where people will say things like, well, we don't really know why we were here. We were driving by. We saw a sign. We saw an ad in the paper. We had one guy tell me one time, I says, Lemmy, what brought you to our church? He says, honestly, I thought I was coming to a movie. He said it was a Saturday night. I thought I was coming to a movie, and it was church, and he ended up meeting Christ. And so, so we have story after story. Maybe someone brought you, and maybe you don't even know why you're here, but I'm telling you, God brought you here to reveal himself to you. God desires for you to be able to recognize him. God desires for you to be able to accept him and have a relationship with him. And so you are not here by accident. Whether a circumstance in your life brought you here, whether a crisis brought you here, whether a spouse brought you here, a friend, an advertisement, or whatever, that you find that Scripture says that he is revealing himself to you. See, they couldn't recognize him because they couldn't get over their past. See, their focus was not in the present. Listen, I'm telling you, if your focus is in the past, it will mess up today and tomorrow. See, their focus was past hurt and past pain. And for whatever reason, they didn't recognize him. The scripture teaches that there are things that can keep us from recognizing God, whether it's worry, whether it's pleasures of this world, whether it's relationships, whether it's hurt, whether it's pain, whether it's distraction. You know what? I could... I could take a balloon, and I could blow a balloon up so large that I would no longer see you even though you're in the room because my focus would be on the balloon. My vision is blocked because of the balloon. Do you realize if you're not careful, there are things in your life that can get your focus and can get your attention that you will not even realize that God is revealing himself to you. It's a bizarre dynamic for me when I talk to people after church and, and, and maybe you've had those conversations that people can be in the same family, they can be friends or they can be strangers. And you talk to one person and say, hey, how was church? And they, oh, it was awesome. I mean, I mean, I mean, God gave me this or God revealed himself. And, and they're talking about it. And then the person sitting right next to them says, eh, didn't really do much for me. Telling it's your focus. It's your vision. So the first thing is this. When, when God gives people hope, it starts with he begins revealing himself to them so they will accept him. The second thing is this. The scripture teaches is he reveals himself to us through circumstances. 
Do you realize that God will use circumstances in your life or situations in your life so that you know that he is faithful, that you know that he can be trusted? And he uses many times situations and circumstances in your life and in my life so that we will turn to him, that we will trust him, so that we realize that this world, whatever this world has to offer is not enough. The conversation goes on. And so, and so he, he said to them, so, so Jesus pulls close to them. They don't know it's him. And he says, and he said to them, what is this conversation that, you're, that you are holding with each other as you walk? And so now get this. So they're walking at this time, and so he asked them the question, and, and so then they stood still. So it just stopped them dead in their tracks, and they stood, stood still, but they're looking sad. Then one of them, what the Scripture says, one of them named Cleopas answered him. This is so funny. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to God, right? He's talking to God who's sovereign, who knows everything, Okay. And he turns to him and says this. He says, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there, there in these days? I mean, and so we laugh at those two guys that are telling God that. But don't we do the same thing? Haven't you gone through a crisis? Haven't you gone through hurt? Haven't you gone through pain? And whether it's in prayer or whatever, you've had a conversation with God and you've told him, you know, God, don't you see what's going on in my life? Don't you understand what people are doing to me? Don't you understand how they betrayed me, how they've hurt me, what they're saying about me? Don't you understand the, what the doctor's report were, was or, or the situation, the economy, a loss of job or lo- whatever? Don't you understand? And they're talking to God. Man, he understands better than we do. He understood better than those two guys did. He lived it. They're talking to the one who not, has all the answers like he doesn't know, like he doesn't understand. But look at this. I love the tact of Jesus. I love how he treated them. And so he said to them, he didn't condemn them. He didn't judge them. He didn't criticize them. He says, how many times did I tell you? How many times did you not hear the story? Did you not know this was going to happen? What confused you? Look what he said. He said to them, two-word two question, what things? You know what Jesus was doing? He was helping them process out their pain. And their hurt, and their discouragement, and their crisis. That's the most healthy thing you and I can do in prayer. You look at the Psalms. The Psalms is a, um, half of the Psalms are people processing out hurt and pain and questions. And you just ask them a simple question what things? What's distracting you? What is keeping you from receiving me? I'm revealing myself. What things? Let me ask you this morning. What things did you carry into this place that keep you from seeing him? What burdens right now are you carrying that are so intense, that are so heavy, are keeping you from seeing him? Because the scripture says, just like he lived out, that he pulls close to the brokenhearted. He comforts. He encourages. And so he's trying to get them to process out their pain and then watch this. And so they said to him, well, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. So here we go. But we had hoped. We didn't think it was turn out like this. 
we've lost hope. We had hoped things were going to be different. We didn't think we'd ever have to deal with this in our life. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And now all of a sudden, you start hearing their frustration. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. See, remember, they didn't stay. They ran, right? These guys left. It goes on, verse 24, so, so some of those who were with us, us, with us went to the tomb and found it to be just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So all of a sudden you begin hearing their frustration, you begin hearing their anger saying, listen, we are trying to figure this out, we are trying to understand, and, we, and some women got to see and they went into the tomb and the tomb was empty and they saw it for themselves, but we didn't. Listen, let me tell you something. They are trying to live, they're, off of a, they're trying to live a Christian life off the experience of others. So let me tell you something. The most dangerous thing for you and when you will struggle with hope is when you try to live your Christian life off of the experience of others. When you try to live a Christian life hearing but not seeing. There is great power when you hear and when you see. When you hear and when you experience. See, their problem was they only heard of him and they only heard of what he was going to do and they only heard that he was going to redeem Israel. But these others, they had not only heard, but they had seen. They saw the empty tomb. They saw the linen. They saw, one saw a vision and heard directly from him. There was a different passion in their life. Listen, the most dangerous thing in a Christian life is this, is when you try to live off the experience, the spiritual experience of others. And if you're trying to live your Christian life off of what you've heard and not what you have seen or what you have experienced, then you will always live in frustration. It has to be both. It cannot be just what you have heard. See, that was Nicodemus's problem, right? He was the religious guy. It was off, he, off of just what he heard. It was some religious do's and don'ts and all this other stuff. But it wasn't experiencing God. It wasn't experiencing his presence. It wasn't really walking with him. Listen, I'm telling you, people who struggle in life are people that have just heard but never experienced, just heard but never taken those principles and applied them to their life for themselves. And they could actually see God work in their life and see God move in their life. I mean, this, this principle plays out in so many different arenas. Probably one of the ones that maybe I can explain this the best is, is when I was, was a kid and living in Houston, Texas. Um, it, was in the, uh, it was in the mid-60s, and, and it was the Houston Colt 45s, and that was my baseball team. And so they built the Astrodome, remember the eighth wonder of the world, the first dome stadium, and so we built that stadium, and then they changed the name from the Houston uh, Colt 45s to the Houston Astros, and they had AstroTurf, and they had this big dome stadium, they had this big sign that, that lit up and blew smoke and all of these other things, and so, so, but up until this point, I'd only heard the Houston Astros play on the radio. I'd never seen them for myself, and so my parents surprised my sister and I, they bought us tickets. And so we got to go. And so we went to the very first baseball game in the Houston Astrodome, and they played the New York Yan Yankees. And so up until this time, I just heard, but I had not seen. I still remember as a kid when I pulled up, when my dad actually pulled up into the Astrodome, and you could not believe how big that place was. 
And we went in and we entered in on the mezzanine level. And then the field was down below. And I still remember the very first time I stood at the mezzanine level and looked down and the, the bright lights. And I couldn't believe how green the grass was. I couldn't believe how the royal blue of the Yankees uniforms. I couldn't believe the, the brilliant colors of the orange and the yellows and everything else of the Houston Astros. I could hear the crack of the bat. I could, I could smell the popcorn. I could smell the hot dogs, or we called them dome dogs. And uh, I could smell the dome dogs and all of that experience and everything else. And, and then when they hit a home run, the, there was a, a sign that it, w- it was old school. and It was just light bulbs, but it was like 100 yards long. And it would light up, and the steer would come running out, and then he'd blow smoke. It's kind of a Texas thing. And so, so it did that whole thing, and, and I still remember it. I also remember what it was like when I went back to school and I had seen, I had heard and seen, I had experienced. There was a difference when I told my buddies about the game and about the Astrodome and about the the Astros and the Yankees and everything that went on there. Why? Because there's a deeper conviction because I'd not only just heard, but I had experienced and I'd seen. There's a great danger in the Christian life when you try to live off the experience of others, when you have only heard, but you have never experienced. When you have only heard that God answers prayer, but you never trusted Him to answer your prayers. Or when you have only heard that obedience brings blessing, but you were never willing to trust him in your relationships, to trust him with your resources, to trust him with your life. You never really experienced that in life. Or when you hear people talk about God's word builds up and God's word speaks to you, and you only heard that, but you were never willing to take his word and to apply it to your life. Or when you hear people talk about God comforts and God encourages and all of those other things. And God gives faith. And Jesus is the living water. But until you experience that, until you see that for yourself, you will never have conviction. You see, when I saw the the, the Astrodome and when I saw the Astros and when I saw the Yankees, I could talk about that differently than any of my other friends. And I had a different conviction about it. Why? Because I had heard and I had seen And as a believer, when you hear and you see, you have this different conviction. And that when you go through a crisis, when you go through hurt, when you go through pain, you have this conviction that now can get you through it. Because listen, if it is only what you've heard, you will not get through the crisis. You will do just like these guys. You will run through from the crisis. And you will live a life living in your past. You will live a life going from one crisis to the next, wondering where is God and when will he answer and when will he take care of me. Listen, let me tell you something. It is experiencing him and it is walking with him. Job had this experience. He had like a midlife crisis that was brought on with a, with a crisis in his life. And in Job chapter 42, verse 5, All of a sudden, you get this testimony from Job, and you watch how his life was radically changed. Watch this, verse 5. And he's talking to God. He's talking to God in prayer. And he says, God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. So now he had heard all of his life, but he had never seen. 
And so he heard all of his life. And when you look at his life previous to this, you realize he doubted God. He questioned God. He had frustration. He struggled in some areas. And so all of his life up till now, he had heard of him. And then watch this. He says, I've heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now, in the midst of my crisis, why? Because God will use circumstances to reveal himself to you. But now... Man, I have seen you. See, when you, I'm telling you, when you talk to someone that's walked through a crisis and God cl- pulled close to them and close to the brokenhearted and ministered to them, they will talk about a deeper conviction than you will ever talk about if you've never gone through a crisis and felt his love or been obedient to him. And so once he sees him, he's totally different. Verse 6, therefore, I despise myself. I repent in dust and ashes. And I'm telling you, power in the Christian life is when you live the Christian life hearing and seeing, hearing and experiencing, hearing and being willing to take his principles and just apply them to your relationships and apply them to your, 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 your job and apply them to your life and apply them to your career. And then all of a sudden you get to see God show up in ways that you would never expect. And Job was this type of guy to where he just understood who God was at this point. And when you look at his life, you realize that his life was no longer the same. We life journal here at Fellowship of the Rockies, and often you hear us talk about it. and It's just reading through the Bible in a year and taking those, the, the verses that spoke to you that morning or that afternoon, whenever you did that, and then you just write about them and you just journal about them. And, and we, were, we were going through Judges chapter 11 about two weeks ago. And we get to this story about Japheth, and it says that Japheth was a mighty warrior of God. And his dad was an idolater, and his mom was a prostitute. And he becomes this mighty warrior of God, and and I I I just wrote that God is not limited by your past. See, you cannot create the future by clinging to the past. You cannot effectively live out this life, this Christian life, living out of what you've heard. It has to become real to you. It has to become personal to you. To where, and that's the reason we build this church, and that's the reason we lead like we do. So people can actually see God moving. Where people are meeting Christ and people are getting baptized. Last weekend we baptized 34 people. And people going into ministry and people serving in in Haiti and and Africa and everywhere else. so So that people can see that God is actually working and God is actually moving. The last thing and the last way that God reveals himself to us is he reveals himself to us through his word. I mean, one of the ways that he reveals himself, he reveals himself personally to us so that we'll accept him. He reveals himself to us in the midst of circumstances, through circumstances, and he reveals himself to his word. And that's why, listen, his word is just so critical and so important for you and I to understand. I just, sometimes, sometimes I wish every one of us understood how critical his word is to our life. Uh, Rick Warren, and maybe you've heard the story, is high profile pastor of Saddleback Church and wrote Purpose Driven Life. That's the most read book written besides the Bible. And, and he's, he's 
he has a, a world stage and 30,000 people attend his church. And, and so if you have not heard, his 27-year-old his son after Easter, the Friday after Easter, committed suicide. And uh, he's dealing with that in a high-profile way. And so, which tells us, you know what? Not even pastors are exempt from pain and loss and crisis and hurt. So Rick Warren preached like 18 worship services there on Easter. And so he preached one right after the other. And, and so he, he hugged a lot of necks and shook a lot of hands, and he was exhausted. And so on Monday, he started feeling bad. So he went to the doctor, and the doctor diagnosed him with, um, with pneumonia. And so Tuesday, Rick calls his, his associate pastor, Tom Holliday, and says, Tom, I've got pneumonia, and I, I cannot preach this weekend. Now, Rick doesn't know what's about ready to take place in his life. Rick doesn't know what's going to happen on Friday night when they get the word. And so he says, you know what? I just I can't preach. I, I've got pneumonia. Could you preach for me? And so Tom Holliday, Holliday says, I, Rick, I'd love to preach for you. He said, you know what? You're our senior pastor, and, and maybe you had a burden. Do you have a burden for the church? Is there something you wanted our church to hear this weekend? And Rick says, you know, it's odd you would ask that. I do. And I'd like to send you an outline that I'm working on because I really feel like our church needs to hear this. He says, Tom, God's doing something different in my life, and, and, I, and I just don't know why he's doing this. And maybe it's because the church needs to hear it. But a few weeks ago, I picked up a book, and the title of the book was, the book was written on the life of David. And the title of the book is this, What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life. And he says, I've been working through those principles and understanding those principles. And I honestly don't know why. And the only thing I can figure is our church needs to hear this and understand this. In the midst of all of this and Rick finding out and that Friday became the worst day of his life when he lost his son. And he now knew those principles for, were for him, right out of God's word. And Rick talks, and Rick has tweeted that those principles, his word, has saved him. And Rick said that I now know God never allows more on us than he has put in us to bear up under a crisis. Now listen, if you have only heard and never seen, you may doubt that story. But when you have heard and when you have seen, you know God speaks to us that way. And so he looks at him, and so Jesus looks at the guys. And he said, and he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, watch this, and all the scriptures. He took them back to his word because he reveals himself to us through his word. Into them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. 
So watch this. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. And Jesus acted, acted as if he was going a little farther. In other words, Jesus wasn't teasing them. He wasn't playing a game with them. He wasn't acting like it wasn't any of this other stuff. But here's what Jesus was doing. He was trying to force them to make a decision. Door number one, you, you enter into a relationship with me. Door number one, you continue on with me. Door number two, you just reject me. Door number two, you reject me and not... Listen, he is leading every one of us into a decision like that. He reveals himself to us so that we will accept him. And in verse 29, But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the Scriptures? The Scriptures bear witness with them. Listen, let me tell you something. The Bible was written, written for God to reveal himself to us. Do you realize it is not a history book? It is a book where God is revealing himself to man. That's why his word is so important. And they rose that same hour and they returned to they returned to Jerusalem. All of a sudden they're changed, right? All of a sudden they're going to face the crisis head on. They're going to face the crisis with conviction. Something happened in their life. You know what happened in their life? They heard and they saw. They heard and they experienced. They understood who Christ was. They understood that he drew near them. Now then that crisis wasn't so big to them. Still a crisis. But they were willing to take it head on. And they found the eleven and those who were with them and gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told their testimony, We have heard and we have seen. And they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. And so they're now living out of a life of hearing and seeing. Listen, I'm telling you, you can tell believers. You can tell people. You can see the difference in people when they hear and they believe. Believers that hear and believe, they have so much. There's passion and enthusiasm. There's conviction. There's greater faith because they know that they have a God that can be trusted. And that's why I'm inviting you because, see, I don't want a church full of people that just hear sermons. I want a church full of people that experience God. That just don't hear nice sermons and then walk away. I want to pastor a group of people that hear and see. That hear and experience. They can see him working in their life. They can see him working in the life of the church. They can see him working in the community. And that's why I'm inviting you Tuesday night, 6 o'clock here, to talk about the story and what God is doing. And listen, I know, I know, I know there's a large population in this community of people that tell me the same stuff over and over and over. Well, Pastor, we get that and we, we, we know that and we understand that. But we were a part of a church one time. And it went south. It was a bad business meeting. We called police to break it up. That's out there. There was a lot of yelling and screaming. There was name calling. Those people acted anything but Christian. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. We burned out. They overused us, whatever. And as a result of that, we walked away from that church and we said, you know what? We may go to another church, but we'll never, never, never be involved like that ever again. 
And we don't use that school of thought in any other area of our life, right? When our kids broke our hearts for the very first time and caused us a lot of pain and disappointment, we said, that's it. We don't believe in kids any longer. So we're going to put you up for adoption and every weekend we'll visit you for an hour. Right? When we started a career and we started a job and a supervisor hurt us or a company hurt us or they made some stupid decisions and there's a lot of hurt and pain, we didn't say, you know what? We don't believe in a job ever again. What do we do? We, you know what? We work through it because we valued it. People don't do that, you know, in any other area. But church, and I'm telling you this, you are missing out. Because you may hear the stories of life change and 30-some-odd people get baptized and people going to Haiti and people going here. But I'm telling you this, you are missing a blessing of hearing and seeing. Seeing God work in your life and God work in your ministry and God work in your church. This community needs a group of people that have unity, that have grace, that have love and passion and commitment, that are willing to reach a city. This city is dying. Our nation is dying. And there needs to be, listen, the reason that we're doing this and the reason we're looking at a future home is not we're trying to figure out how to grow. We're having enough trouble just finding enough seats now. We just want to be good stewards of the blessings that God has brought us and the growth that he has brought us. And I am inviting you on a journey with me so you get to hear and see. And you know firsthand the stories and the miracles that God is doing in this place. One of the greatest blessings of being a pastor and a leader of a church is this. You get front row seats to see how God blesses and how God works in the lives of people. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me ask you just real quickly. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? What is he saying to you as a result of this message? And more importantly, what is your next step? There's a next step for every one of us. And maybe this morning... Maybe you need to just come to the place to you realize that God is revealing himself to you and he has been revealing himself to you. And maybe you just need to make that decision to enter into a relationship with him, to ask him to forgive you of your sins and give you the gift of eternal life. But you know what? Maybe you're a believer. And maybe you've been trying to live your Christian life off the experiences of others. Maybe you've lived a life of hearing and never seeing, hearing and never applying the principles to your life. It's left you frustrated. It's left you wanting more telling you obedience brings blessing and maybe your next step is lord i'm gonna i'm gonna trust you at a deeper level and i'm not gonna be one of those christians that just try to live off the testimonies of everyone else i'm gonna hear and see and i want to experience you at a deeper level in my life 